Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. I can make your hands clap. I can make your hands. I hate that song. I don't even. Also love it. It's one of those ones that get stuck in your head because I don't know any words besides what we just sang. Yeah, and it's like also I don't want this person to be commanding me to make my hands clap. And I'm like, dang it, you can make my hands clap. I know. Every time I'm like clap, 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 because it's oh god, it's beyond catchy. I can make your hands clap. I feel like we should just keep singing it for the three people that hate our songs at the beginning of each episode because it's a song that I simultaneously don't like, but maybe we can subject everyone else to it too. How's it going, everybody? All right, yeah, that part of the episode. Yeah, yeah. You guys are listening to the Command Zone podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Wong. How is it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. There's no, there's no video of us today because, Jimmy, you're yeah. across the country. Yep, I'm in Washington, D.C. for the weekend doing some work over here, so we could not film a video. So you guys are going to have an audio-only podcast, but that's okay because our faces aren't that interesting anyway. And Terry comes up with all kinds of cool things that you can look at while you just listen to our voices and listen to us sing the awesome song, I Can Make Your yeah, Hands Clap. Right. Yeah, uh, and it's going to be a pretty simple but fun episode today because we are answering questions, mailbag questions from you all, the listeners. We do this very occasionally. Um, we also have a Patreon-specific uh, sort of feed that we get questions from from our patrons. So we'll, we give those top priority in terms of answering questions, and we get back to you all on email and over Twitter and in the comments and all that as much as we can. Yeah, the the emails really start to fill up fast these days. It's good. It means the show's growing. I always say that, but at the same time, it starts to get pretty. I always feel bad when we haven't answered it, uh, and the and sometimes it's like fifty, sixty emails deep. So um, this is a good way for us to knock out a bunch of answers and have a good show topic. There's a lot of interesting things discussed and asked in the emails. But before we get to all that, we need to talk about something very important. Our sponsor, CardKingdom.com/slash/CommandZone. It is the best place to go to order your singles. Ether Revolt is out. It's here. It's time to go get your Paradox engines and such. Also, um, Card Kingdom just posted, I think probably last week, that uh, 
they have the app Scryglass. Have you have you heard of this, Jimmy? Yes, Scryglass is very cool. It's a great. It's like an app that you use on your phone. You just point it at cards, and it, you can immediately buy list them. Uh, and sort of categorize what the cards are without having to type in names or anything. Yeah, and I think it's available for iOS now, or or maybe it's Galaxy, or it's it's available for both now, I believe, because it was only one before. Oh, cool. Yeah, it is on iOS now, and as well as uh, Android. Android. That other Android. Phone oh, yeah. I said Galaxy. Is. I meant Android. <laughs> Galaxies explode. Yeah. Androids do not. Yeah, the non-exploding ones. Androids. Um, so, Scryglass, definitely cool to use. Uh, the buy list on Card Kingdom is great, so... That's a good way to turn your cards into, you know, the cards that maybe you draft and you don't want anymore into cards you do want. Like like I said, like Paradox Engines. Yeah, and and Card Kingdom is awesome about buying cards and they also are awesome about listing cards and go, giving very generous sort of ratings to what the quality of they, those cards are. So make sure you guys go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone to support the show and to get any singles that you guys want. We cannot recommend them highly enough. And wonderful. A- and another way to support the show is to go to patreon.com slash command zone, and there you can just contribute directly to our show. In fact, we call out one patron every single episode, and this episode is dedicated to Sean, Sean Plotz. Is that, is that, is he related maybe to Day9? Because isn't Day9's <laughs> name Sean Plot? Yeah, Day9's name is Sean Plot minus the S. In fact, this might be Day9. It could be day nine. <laughs> are you day nine, Sean Plotz? Did you just put an extra S on there to try and confuse us? Or are you your very own person named Sean Plotz? Probably the very own person because the extra S, well, I guess it did clearly confuse us. So if it is day nine, kudos. I mean, I've tweeted at uh, day nine a couple of times and he's never gotten back to me. So I would have just assumed that it, it's, it's not him. <laughs> All right, not day nine, Sean Plotz. This episode is dedicated to you. Thank you so much for your support on Patreon. Really quick before we move on to the main topic, we do want to give a quick message to all the patrons out there. Please go to the Patreon page if you are already a patron. There is an important announcement for you there that we want you to check out. Also, Jimmy and I have been working with an artist, and this is not necessarily only for patrons. It might be. We're not sure yet, but we've been working with an artist. We've seen a lot of sketches and renderings lately of what's going to be our very first playmat Jimmy, I'm super stoked. I am too. We've been going back and forth with him on some of the uh, the details of it, and it's looking awesome. I think you guys are going to love it. I am personally very stoked to finally release something to you guys that is going to be, well, what can I say? It's going to be good. You know that we have a high quality, uh, standard of quality on this show here, so the playmat itself, I think, is going to wow and surprise people and also hopefully sell a bunch. All right, cool. So let's go on to the main topic. It's, uh, this is a mailbag episode. We're going to answer some mail and, and some listener questions. Again, we have a lot. Um, we tried to get to most of them here or answer them uh, directly. But if we missed you, we're sorry. We'll get you next yeah. time. And again, if you're a patron of the show, we have a patron special email address that you can send emails to, and then you'll get sort of priority uh, responses. We'll get back to you very quickly because you are a part of our community, and thus deservedly so. We want to talk to you uh, sort of more quickly. And you can find all that on, in the post section of the Patreon. All right, all right. Let's, let's start with a patron. This is Ryan Storer. Ryan signed up for Patreon last week says he's new to magic and wondering about the process we use to refine our decks. So this is what he says. I bought Brea as my first commander deck, and with the recent release of Kaladesh and Aether Revolt, there are now a lot of options for upgrades. How do you sit down and sift through all these options and decide what is good for the deck and what isn't as good? 
is a really good question. I actually just built a Brea deck very recently, and I used cards from Kaladesh and Aether Revolt in it. So the thing that really helps is when you're sitting down to look at a deck, try and look at it from a top-down sense in terms of what does this deck want to do ultimately? Uh, how does this deck win the game? What is my goal with the deck? And usually that breaks down to like two or three different things. It could be as simple as with this Brea deck, all I want to do is go infinite, right? And in that case, when you're looking through Kaladesh and Aether Revolt cards, you're going to be actively looking for cards that do that for your deck. So let's say you want to go infinite with something like Paradox Engine. Uh, and you're going to look through the, the cards in Kaladesh and Aether Revolt. You're going to look for anything that may uh, either cantrip you or untap stuff or do something that lets you have an extra turn. So these are all sort of things that you'd want to abuse a Paradox Engine-like effect with, and then you can sort of sift it down from there, being like, all right, does this extra turn card really help me go infinite with Paradox Engine, or is it just something I'm doing because I think it was fitting in the theme? And you have to, like, make those choices slowly, but if you know what your deck wants to do overall, it's going to be a lot easier to figure out what cards do and do not fit into it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are probably out there going like, Jimmy, don't tell people to combo off, and, like, listen, you, <laughs> you know us, guys, we don't tell you if you should combo off or not. That's up to you, what you find fun. But I think the the philosophy and the way of thinking is the same whether you're building combo or not it's determining what it is that your deck wants to do how it's going to accomplish those things and then what i usually do is i sort of lay out cards in in different categories so if it's the brea deck i would probably lay out my mana ramp cards lay out my card draw cards i'd put my single target removal in my board wipe somewhere and then all the rest of the cards and i would know that you know my deck has a certain amount of slots for those things and then the rest of the cards you know depending on what i want to accomplish that's how many slots I have available. I'd be like, okay, well, how many cards do I need that go find the cards that I need? You know, mm -hmm. what are those what are those key cards that I really want? So that might be a section. Or, you know, how many cards do I need that recur artifacts? You know, if, if what I'm doing is just sort of replaying artifacts over and over, whether I'm going infinite or not, how many of those do I want? And that's sort of how I would begin to... Uh, cut cards out. A lot of times I look at my deck and I've got way too many cards and I start going, well... I don't really need 10 cards that bring cards back from the graveyard because if all my cards bring cards back from the graveyard, what's in the graveyard that I need to bring back? I need stuff that I want to be bringing back, right? I, recursion can't right. be all of your deck. Or let's say a deck that's got like plus one, plus one counters and stuff. Well, I need some cards that add plus one, plus one counters, but I need some cards that mess with the counters once they're already there. And so determining how many in each category I want and I need kind of helps me cut down because I can look at a pile of cards, five, six cards, and go, well, these six cards do the same thing. So can I cut it that down to two or three cards maybe? How much of that effect do I need redundancy for? And that's, I think, a real way to, to cut down your decks is to look at each card and figure out what it's doing and then how many cards you have that are doing that same thing and then figure out which are the best of the ones that are doing that thing and only use those. Yeah, so for instance, if your deck is going to go infinite with mana, then a card, or at least not infinite, let's say, let's say you're going to generate tons of mana because you want to either sack stuff with Brea or do whatever, then a card, uh, then you're trying to balance out a card like Snap that like returns a creature to its owner's hand versus a card like Capsize. Now, Capsize, obviously, I think is just better, but... You're going to say, okay, well, I have two of these cards. They do the same thing. I'm going to want the one that I can use more effectively. However, a snap is a good card in a deck like um, Shu Yun because it untaps lands. And in Shu right? Yun, you don't want to be spending a lot for the, for, the, um, for the spell, the CMC. So 
Exactly. So, so that's an instance of where, like, okay, cool, you have two cards that do similar things. One's going to be inherently better for the deck that you're building. Uh, and I would also look for cards like Baral's Expertise and things that have a lot of modal abilities, essentially, or the ones that give you more flexibility. Brawl lets you cast another card out of your hand. It lets you bounce up to, like, three artifact creatures. So it's a better bounce in general because for however mana it costs, I think it's five, it's going to be slightly better, I think, than a three-mana uh, capsize if you can't buy it back. Right. So I think that's the really the best way to cut things down is to look at the cards and ask yourself, what is this card doing? And then how many cards do I have that are doing the same thing? And then only take the best of that. Yep. All right, on to question number two. Do you want to read it, Jimmy? Yeah, from Anton Clement. Uh, Clement from uh, Greetings from Germany. He's a big fan of video game high school. Awesome. I'm a big fan of you, Anton. Uh, he asks... How do you decide which decks to buy, and how do you prioritize which decks to finish first? So this may not be the best question for Josh and I, for Josh and me, because uh, <laughs> every time the precons come out, we buy all of them because it's all five. Uh, this year, we were lucky enough to get them sent to us uh, from Wizards, which was awesome because we got to play them a little early and make a video for you guys. Uh, so I'm gonna imagine now that I don't do this every year, and I'm gonna look at, uh, let's say, all the decks, all the deck lists have just come out. And my priority as a Magic player, let's say, is, oh, cool, I'm really interested in these two commanders because I want to build a deck around them. However, I don't really want to use any of the cards that come in the pre-con because that's not the direction I want to go with that deck. So in that case, I would look to see which of the decks have the cards that I want sort of overall. Let's say, like, 30% of this pre-con has cards that I just need for my collection or I'm going to slot into other decks, but I don't care about the commander. Well, in that case, I'm probably going to buy that deck and then get the singles of the commanders that I want uh, and try and save a little bit of money that way without having to go all in on buying a full deck when I don't need all of the cards. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit more on the side of, because I don't necessarily open every deck, uh, you know, because I like to have a lot of sealed product laying around and um, I've, I usually buy every single commander deck, but there's been years for sure. In fact, I don't think there's probably been a single year where I've opened all five decks. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's some that are just still sitting there, and it's just, well, if in case I want to build it someday, I still have it. But I usually open the ones, and this is, I think, just personal. It's just like, which ones just spark my interest, where I'm like, ooh, the, mm -hmm. you know, oh, man, I think of five, six, seven awesome things right away, and it's just like, well, I got to build that deck. Um, I just sort of go with, you know, just inspiration kind of. I, I, I don't tend to force it. Although things like Game Nights and this show occasionally cause me to make decisions based upon, you know, well, we need this kind of deck for game nights. And so that's actually can push you outside your comfort zone and make you try things you wouldn't. And, you know, ironically, one of the things I did was I built that Vile Smasher deck, which is not a deck that called to me or sparked my inspiration, but I wanted to build a deck like that because I thought it would be good for game nights and good on camera. And what did I find? That's like my favorite deck to play now. Yeah, <laughs> it is actually. I, I really like that deck too. Um, it's hard to prioritize which decks to finish first uh, if you have too many going at the same time. Thus, I recommend the strategy of don't start building a new deck until you feel like you've created the the you know the last one. Like, don't have a bunch of like sixty card decks lying around that aren't finished. Just finish the deck before you really get onto the next one. It'll help in terms of like not feeling overwhelmed, not having to like split your mind between thinking about how two different decks work. Um, but also let your deck builds 
inspire old ones. There, there have been a lot of times when I play something in the deck and be like, oh, wow, this would actually work really well in this other deck I had. Uh, but because that deck's already finished, I can actually go and like figure out how to alter it instead of being like, shoot, I need to go rebuild this from, from scratch because I never finished it in the first place or whatever. So try and finish your decks off before moving on to the next one. Yeah, I definitely don't think I've ever had two decks sort of in the brewing stages at the same time. It's just it's too confusing for me. Yeah, it's way too much for my tiny little brain to handle. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anton, we hope that helps. Uh, moving on to the third question. This is from Michael Slack. I'm going to paraphrase Michael's email because it was a little bit long. Michael's in a little bit of a bind because his regular playgroup, which consists of uh, his wife along with a pair of couples on uh, MTGO, they absolutely abhor counter magic. So as a result, Michael's basically had to cut counter magic out of his decks entirely, um, or they simply won't play with him. The problem is that the group's kind of evolved and the decks have gotten very powerful. He talks about a uh, highly tuned Uriel and Kalia uh, decks, a dedicated a player that only plays combo, basically, you know, the whole shebang. So Michael's having trouble because he's tried to sneak a few counter spells back into his decks now, even just, you know, two or three. But even if he ends up playing one, then the group kind of goes ballistics because they don't like... <laughs> They don't like counter magic. They don't think it, you know, they just think it makes them stop, you know, not able to play magic. So he's really in a conundrum about what he should do because he feels like without the counter spells, he just doesn't have a chance against the power level of the decks that they're playing. So this is our sort of Dear Abby style question that we get a lot. Jeez, that's rough, man. Um, I don't even know where to start with this, honestly, because this is sort of a, this is a mentality thing more than an actual, like, logical-based conclusion that uh, the playgroup has come to. Um, Because when it comes to it, like, someone comboing off and going infinite, to me, is far worse than someone countering something. Right. Because one ends the game, the other just changes or, like, like, may stop someone from essentially winning the game like that. Um, it's going to be a tough thing to talk about also because it's on MTGO. So there's no face-to-face interaction. And I think that's something you have to like 100% take into mind because I don't know what you could really do over text that would be as efficient and, I don't know, believable as someone talking to you in person being like, counter spells aren't that bad because of X, Y, and Z. So I, I'm actually at a loss here. I don't know. I don't really know what Michael should do. Yeah, this is tough, and I think you've hit on some really important points, right? Because Michael does know the people he's playing with, but they play on uh, MTGO because, you know, they were friends in real life, but people have moved around, and it's just easier for them to play that way. And you're you're absolutely right. It's one of the reasons I don't in, uh, enjoy EDH on MTGO because the, the fact is Commander is so much about the social dynamic that, to me, Commander on MTGO is very different than Commander not on MTGO. Um, and this this kind of dynamic where it's hard because you don't have nonverbals and it's it's hard to sort of convey the same level of communication that you can in person. And this kind of thing is kind of prevalent where on MTGO, a lot of times, you know, people are just w- their decks are way more brutal because you're just anonymous and you don't have to worry about it. Now, this is a group, obviously, that plays together a lot. Uh, there's a couple of ways maybe Michael might be able to to do something here and, and not there's no great answers right like we've said this so many times on the show before and i find myself replying to emails like this with with this kind of answer all the time which is like bottom line there's not a lot of hope of getting people to sort of like things they don't like mm-hmm. and so they can't convince you not to like counter spells and it's going to be hard to convince them to like counter spells now the thing is 
what you want to do is sort of negotiate. You can sort of not like infinite combos to the same level that they don't like counterspells. But if they're willing to say like, okay, well, I'd rather just not play, then they're just going to trump you every time because you want to play. So if you're not willing to say, and I'm not saying you should be, I'm just saying like, that's escalation theory, right? It's mm-hmm. it's like old school Cold War theory. It just is. Like, it's they're willing to to drop the nuke. They're willing to say, okay, well, I'll just we just won't play if you play that. Now, if you're not if you're not willing or able to let the group die, which I don't think you should be, I'm just saying that's escalation theory. That's just how it works. It, you can be like, well, if you combo off, then I'm not going to play. That's not going to do you a ton of good, but I'm. There's not a lot of counterplay to to this, right? There's like, if you go to them and say, well, you should like counterspells, which I think he's tried, I don't think that's going to work either. I would say to Michael, maybe the best case if you just want to keep playing with these same people is just don't play blue. Just play a color combination that doesn't even have counterspells, and now you're going to have to come up with other answers that don't feel so bad to you. And if you've got a Karlov deck, or if you've got a, whatever, I can name all the decks that don't have blue, how do those decks deal with combo, and how do those decks deal with, you know, very powerful decks like Kalia and Uril? Um, right. And, and then you won't be tempted to use a counterspell, and you also won't be sitting there the whole time fuming because they won't let you play counterspell. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. Again, uh, the escalation theory is definitely a huge danger. I wouldn't recommend just building more and more powerful decks to be like, look, look what happens when you don't counter. Look what happens. You see what happens, Larry? Uh, so I would recommend... You see what happens, Larry? I would definitely recommend what Josh said. I like that, you know, like, for instance, A Path to Exile. Uh, it kind of can be a combo disruptor as much as a cross and Grip. Um and, you know, maybe it will get to the point where everyone, you know, everyone else's decks get so powerful that there has to be some kind of counterplay. Uh, and at that point, it might be worth revisiting it um, and talking to everyone and being like, hey, guys, so let's have like a historical breakdown of how Counterspell works and why it's not as awful as maybe we see it. Because it's something, you know, it adds complexity. It adds something to play around. It adds, you know, X, Y, and Z. But until then... I mean, if you I, really I, can't convince people, it, it, I think that's the way, it's a good way to go is what Josh suggested. Yeah, I feel, I feel like Michael's there. Like, I think he's had that conversation. I think that the decks are at the power level. I mean, if they've got a dedicated player that all that person does is combo, like all their decks, which is what he says in the email, then they might be there right now where if you're playing blue, you would have to play counterspells because, you know, if you take counterspells away from blue, then blue as a color is really not very good. And so... It's like taking mana ramp away from green or something. So it just may be that you don't want to play blue in that group. Michael, you might want to find some other people that you can play with sometimes too so that you can still itch, uh, scratch that itch. And, you know, I've definitely been in play groups. Jimmy, you probably have too, and I'm not... This is not the type of advice that you'd love to give, but sometimes it's inevitable where, like, you just never can find the eye-to-eye, you know, negotiation. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely been in play groups for different games, and you know, magic as well, or it's just like, yeah, I just, well, I, I played with those people for a while, but because of the difference in philosophies, it was just hard for everybody to have fun, so we just went our separate ways, and that's okay, too. Yeah, that's 100% okay, and there's nothing wrong with that, and there's also nothing wrong with how they play. The fact that they don't like Counterspell, I mean, I personally disagree with it, but they have the 100%. It is their right to decide what kind of game that they enjoy most of all. Now, that may limit them in the future if they want to play with just random people and strangers, because Counterspell is a pretty common thing in magic but again that's their decision 
All right. All right. On to the next question from Joris Kuiper. Joris asks, I don't have a big budget when I'm building new decks, so I have a lot of trouble building an efficient mana base. My questions are, how do you guys build a mana base, and how big are your budgets when building one? And if you guys have a small budget, how would you make an efficient and reliable mana base? I mean, I think we should probably just answer the second part, because Jimmy and I have a lot of cards. We can build, if we want to, whatever mana base we feel like. I mean... Yeah, and it's also like I've, I've gotten so many cards over time that I could, you know, all my decks I could essentially take out <laughs> things and be like, all right, uh, this mana base doesn't need to be as efficient, so I'm going to put stuff here or whatever. And I definitely have decks where, I mean, I only have so many old school dual lands, so I definitely have decks that are five color or whatever that have zero of that stuff because I, just all my decks can't have it. And I'm like, that deck's slightly underpowered because of the mana base, but honestly, I think you can build mana bases that are 90% as powerful or maybe... 85% as powerful as the most highly tuned mana bases. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you really pay a lot for those last few percentage points. The difference between, we've said this many times, right? The difference between like a guild gate or a lifeland and an old school dual land is big, but at the same time, they are often the same within a game. If you play both on turn one and don't cast a one drop, from turn two on, they're the exact same. Yeah, exactly. Um... Well, I mean, there's, like, the fetchability factor yeah. and stuff. Yep. But at, at the same time, there are a lot of budget options out there in terms of lands and mana bases that help out a lot. For instance, um, a lot of, just, just playing cards like Evolving Wilds yep. is a great way to build an efficient mana base because even though it, you may put yourself, like, a turn slash half a turn behind, you're going to be able to fix your mana, and these cards are printed all the time in Standard. Another really good thing to do is if you follow Standard... Um, a lot of times the lands in standard come in and then they rotate out. And when those cards rotate out, they get very, very cheap. And recently they had a cycle of lands that had the land titles in them, like said Swamp Mountain or whatever. And those make them really easy to fetch with cards that just look for land types. Um, and so like I would look to see when those cards slowly go down in price when the format or that set rotates out. And then pick up those lands because Wizard still wants to make good mana for people in standard and also just to have over time the more sort of non come into play tap duels they can put out there the better and like the cons lands are a great example of this too um they are all still very cheap and they're great ways to fix three colors of mana with a single land and just making sure to look around and, and use as many options as are available to you as possible can make your mana base really cheap and just also usually work the way you need it to yeah, I've said this again many times on the show, which is that like if somebody builds a very expensive mana base, they're spending money. Well, you're going to have to match that spending of money with spending of another resource, and that resource is just time. So you use your time to do a little bit of research, and you find some out-of-the-way, you know, hidden secret tech, you know, things like the Mirage slow fetch lands, you know, mm -hmm. like Floodplain, Bad River, Rocky Tar Pit. They're not as good as the fetch lands, but they're similar. They're close. Um, they come into play tapped, but then they fetch two different uh, land types. So they're not the exact same, again, but they're similar. They're close. Uh, maybe you have to build your mana base a little bit more uh, with basic lands in mind. But again, you can do this, and you just have to tweak your mana base a little bit. And and like Jimmy said, like the tri-lands are great. In, in many ways, the tri-lands are better than... You know, like your average dual land, they tap for an entire uh, another color, which is a huge thing. And yes, they come into play tapped. I think the big thing when I'm building a mana base is I just want to 
sort of pay attention to the number of my lands that have to come into play tapped and the number that don't. And the ones that don't can be basics. And so mm-hmm. I generally want like, you know, 60% of my lands, maybe a little bit more, to be the kind that come into play untapped or at least can. So shock lands, basic lands, you know, things like that. It's usually not that tough to do, even if most of your dual lands are tri lands and guild gates and things like that. You know, there's the filter lands, there's a whole bunch of lands that come into play um, untapped that are like slightly less powerful, but that leaves you 30% of your lands that can be tri lands and things like that. Right. Totally. Yeah. And we also have done an episode on how to build a mana base as well. And we talk a lot about those options. Uh, I think it's episode and it's in, it's somewhere in there, but we'll link it in the show notes as well. All right. Question number five. This is a, this is an interesting one. So this is from Leonardo Sibilia. Leonardo is an LGS owner in Italy. He's had a lot cool. of, yeah. So he's had a lot of success beginning to offer and promote EDH events at his store, but he's having trouble monetizing or having it make good business sense. So what he says is standard and modern events, they have a prize pool and therefore an entry fee. So the store as a business can make a little bit of money on those events. But the problem with commander players is that they're playing for fun. So they don't really enter any events that he's tried to start. And he wants to know if we have any ideas regarding leagues, prizes, or some sort of strategy that can help him find a way to have the commander presence at his store make good business sense. I do also want to note really quickly that he said that the Game Nights Out of the Box video was basically what kicked off the whole EDH craze at his store. Cool. So that's cool. Oh, double cool. Yeah. That's um, sweet. You want to fly to Italy, Josh? You and me? Just go uh, go say hi? I mean, I love Italy. They got amazing food over there, so <laughs> I, it wouldn't take much to convince me. Uh, Leonardo, this is... You know, honestly, this is a complaint we've heard from many LGS store owners about Commander and Commander players and just how it's hard to leverage that into, like, success for your business. So if you're a business owner, you you have to keep the lights on. You have a lease. You need the customers coming into your store to translate into some sort of, you know, in, into money. And, and it doesn't have to be a ton. I don't know a single LGS owner that's like driving a Bentley. They don't make a lot of money. They're doing it for the love, but they want to keep the lights on. And so I think that this is a good chance to sort of make a PSA to commander players out there that, you know, we want commander to be present. And every person that goes into a local gaming store and learns to play commander is somebody you could potentially play commander with. So it's great if your local gaming store is promoting and having commander events. Um, what have you heard, Jimmy, as far as LGS is sort of using Commander to to help out their business or, or, or as a presence at their store? Well, it's tough. For one, uh, the reason that you can have prizes for Standard and Modern is that it's a 1v1 format, and in general, you're trying to make the best deck to win the games. Uh, and that's not really the case with EDH. Oftentimes, some people just build decks to have fun. Some people build decks to obviously to win as well, but the power level is very different. And because you're working with such a huge uh, database of cards the power level is going to be everywhere. So it's going to be tough to like sort of get people to compete against each other in a way that feels um, good for the format. Because if you start putting competition into Commander, it's a really easy way to get back into that escalation war. And then all of a sudden you have people that don't have fun playing Commander and they don't want to be there anymore. Um, one thing that Josh and I talked about before the show, because this was such an interesting question, is 
one of the best things you can do is honestly just sell commander singles and have maybe even a section dedicated to commander singles or cards that are specifically good for EDH and stuff. So cards like Doubling Season, you're not going to really sell to many other players in Standard especially, or even Legacy or Vintage and maybe parts of Modern. That's one of those cards that is a huge staple in a lot of token decks. It's getting on the more expensive side, but again, it's a card that really appeals to commander players, and there are a lot of cards in that category. In fact, my binders I have, I have a lot of binders that are just for commander, um, and I think that's definitely a, a possibility in your store, is letting the players know that, like, hey, look, this week we're doing a sale on these commander cards, uh, or the Atraxa deck is so popular at this store that we're going to be selling Atraxa-specific singles at a discount today, and today only. So doing like specials on the game nights that the people come in so that you can help incentivize them to either you know start making their decks better and improving it and getting that part of the process in, and also help your store out because you're giving them maybe a deal, and you're also providing them with a service that they would otherwise have to go to the internet to get. Yeah, I do think there's a lot to be said for leagues, and I, I'm not, you know, we haven't talked a ton about leagues on the show because our game, uh, our playgroup doesn't play at an LGS, but I think at LGSs, and we have a successful one in uh, Los Angeles that's run an EDH league for many, many years, and a lot of people like it, and that's a way to sort of have prizes, but the prizes aren't like a standard or a modern uh, event where it's like a tournament, and at the end of the night, there's a winner. The prizes can be over a certain amount of time, and there may be a wall, and people kind of keep track of, you know, their point standing in the league and stuff like that. And at the end of, you know, a certain amount of nights, then something happens, and, and there can be entry fees and things for that. And I think the thing to understand about commander players is that they are playing commander a lot of times because they are averse to the quickness with which things like standard move. And they want their cards to be available and playable for a long amount of time. And so dealing with them on that level may be, like I said, the prize wall for the league may just be a longer timeline than you're used to. It might not all happen in one night. It might happen over the course of a month. And you have like right. a, mo a monthly winner and, you know, um, a top three in the league after, you know, four nights something happens. And I think commander players may be willing to pay for that opportunity because they see that as value, right? They're paying for something and they get four nights of play out of it or something like that. That's, I think that's more along the lines of how commander players think. Yeah, and if you do a league like that, you can also give out a lot more sort of specialized rewards. So stuff like Spirit of the Game Award is something yeah. that is a very, I think, like worthwhile award to give away. And like you, you want to basically make sure that you incentivize people to have fun and come back to the store as opposed to build the most powerful deck they can and go infinite with Hermit Druid on turn three or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think th that will draw in players because they know, oh, I'm going to come to this store because I know there'll be commander players there. And I also know that the store is incentivizing people to play in a way which I will find fun. And that's going to do you a lot of good and people will pay for that privilege. Yeah. Um, this question, and we're going we're gonna to remind everybody about this with uh, to the listeners, but one thing, one way we can help Leonardo out here is we have access to a whole bunch of commander players, you know, tens of thousands of them actually. And I'd be interested to hear in the comments section uh, on YouTube or you can email us or you can tweet at us, but I'd be very interested to hear what successful events, programs, leagues, whatever that you've seen run at your local gaming store out there. Uh, I'm talking to the listeners now that you've liked that you've said, oh man, that's a really good way to do it, and that have worked on you, where you have made you want to go into the store and play Commander night after night, but not just go and play to help their business, to actually spend money there. So 
it, it's really, I think it could help Leonardo and a lot of different uh, local gaming stores sort of get a bead on Commander players and how they can best serve them in a way that makes business sense for them. Because I think that's a win-win for everybody. If LGSs can crack that code and figure out, like, this is a way that I, uh, I can encourage people to play Commander, but it also helps my business stay alive. Yep. We'd love to hear from you all. You obviously have a lot of good input in terms of this. And, I mean, I would love to hear what cool stores are doing in your area that I haven't heard about before. Yeah, exactly. Then everybody can look at that stuff and they can go to their LGS and be like, you know what? I just read this thing in the comments section of the Command Zone and we maybe should try that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's crowdsource this thing. I like it. <laughs> okay, moving on to a question from Bob. We've changed the names in order to protect the innocent. Uh, this is an interesting one. This is a, a bit of a spicier question. All right, so there, this is the case of blatant favoritism. Bob plays in a group where there is a couple who are in a real-life relationship that basically team up in every single game to the point where it borders on collusion. And it's becoming pretty unfun because it feels unfair. So Bob has described us to us a scenario where once one of them played um, blatant thievery and took a permanent from the two other players at the table, but not their partner, uh, the one they're in a relationship with. Blatant cheating. Uh, <laughs> And Bob says he tried to talk to them about it, but they don't, quote, feel the same way, end quote, that he does. How does he handle this and restore a healthy group dynamic? Ah, another Dear Abby question. Dear Josh. Uh, it's Dear You Too, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And Jimmy. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a tough one and, and, and one that I think anybody who's played with couples or, or friends or siblings has run into in some respect, you know, it can happen all the time. Uh, it even happens in like basketball where it feels like these two friends just pass to each other more than they pass to the other players. And that can be slightly uh, annoying. Um, uh, this is going to be another one again, where it's hard to give a definitive answer of like, this is what you should do. We can just maybe say some ways that I might handle it one way. And I'm going to go back to the old trick that I go to often, which is to just call attention to it in the game by doing things that sort of force it out into the open and force it to be a discussion point by in the game. So I might just start kamikazing one of the people and, you know, sort of recklessly and and obviously and often. And inevitably, I'm hoping that they'll be like, why do you keep doing that? And I can be like, well, you guys always... You always seem to team up, so I don't really have a chance. So, you know, and and sort of send the message that like, well, when you play that way, it it makes me view the game in a negative way, and this is sort of what starts to happen. It starts to erode the the world of the game and and sort of the the unwritten rules of the game, as it were. For sure, I, I like that. I think the kamikazeing thing is a little scary to some people because they don't want to. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to ruin something to the point where it's unfixable. Right. And this is definitely the kind of thing that can get to be really nasty. And like, let's say that the people that are playing together, let's say they've played other games before, and when they were not teaming up with each other, when they when one person would go after the other one or beat them in a way that felt unfair that was starting to ruin and tear at their relationship because it was a lot of like, oh gosh, like, uh, this is not good. Like now these guys are arguing all the time and why did you do this to me, et cetera, et cetera. It's bleeding into real life. So there could be a lot of history behind this as well. And I think the important thing is really like, I think bringing it out into the open with not just yourself, 
but with other people as well. If someone else notices something happening and you can calmly and collectively point out, hey, here's the situation, here's what's happening, here's what's happening. And, you know, sometimes this also gets to the point where it needs to be like, look, this isn't as fun for me anymore. And it's it's making me lose incentive to want to come to these game nights because I don't feel like we're getting to play the magic that is, you know, fair to the other people that you're bringing here because we're essentially playing a different game than you are at this point. And if you can't, realize that or at least even respect that it's making us feel this way it's going to be really hard for us to keep playing on this level and i think that's a really hard thing for a lot of people to argue against which is like look this is how it's making me feel this is how it's making my friend here feel and that's not there's nothing that we can do to change that feeling but address it right now so hopefully this is something that you guys can you know look inside and and we can all come to a accordance on but until then i think it's it's a bit tough for you bob so i'm sorry yeah, I, I really like how... Notice how Jimmy, when he was playing that role just now, like how his tone sounded. It's so reasonable. And notice he didn't say things. And I think this is what trips off a lot. We always say talk to people, right? But you have to talk to them in the right way because if you come at somebody wrong, then they're going to immediately react in a way that's going to maybe make things a little bit worse or they get defensive or whatnot. Notice the things Jimmy did not say when he was role-playing just then. He didn't say, you, you are doing this. You This makes you bad in this way, you're making the game unfun. He redressed himself, and he sounded reasonable, and he did not make the other person, he didn't accuse them of anything. And I think that's a pitfall a lot of people fall into. If you go towards somebody and you say, listen, this is something that's happening. You didn't say, this is something you're making happen. This is something that's happening. This is how it's affecting me. Again, it's not you. You don't have to be defensive because I haven't even addressed you yet. There's something that's happening. This is how it's affecting me. I don't like it because it makes me feel like the game's not fair. Now, I know you're not doing this on purpose, and it's probably not an outcome that you want. I'm just letting you know that when this starts to happen, this is how it feels, and this is why it's not fun. And I don't know. Maybe you totally disagree, and maybe we can't come to terms, but maybe we can. Maybe you don't know exactly how it's making me feel. And one of the ways that when I said I like to sort of kamikaze them and then bring it out in the open is not to accuse them. It's just to say like, well, this is just how it makes me feel to how it makes me want to play the game because it feels like I don't have a chance to win. So why try? And yeah. and you're sort of demonstrating to them what it's doing to you. And they can empathize with that because it's sort of doing the same thing to them now that what they're doing is doing to you. And again, when you do those things, you don't have to accuse them like you're bad or whatever. Hey, listen, I'm not telling you not to do the thing. I'm just saying like what 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 happens is the inevitable outcome of what you're doing is that this this is makes me feel like I need to play this way. And it's not necessarily how I want to play, and it's probably not how you want me to play. And so maybe we can have a negotiation. And maybe we can't. Because like you said, Jimmy, they may be a couple where they can't compartmentalize the game. So if they sort of go at each other, it might hurt their real relationship, which is not anything you want to be doing over a game. So it might just be like you can only play two-headed giant with them. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. All right, good luck, Bob. These are tough. Know. These are tough Let ones. I mean, these, there's no answers to these, right? There's just like, yeah. yeah, just try and be reasonable, try and not be accusatory, and hope for the best. And every play group and every person is different, so make sure that you're addressing that before you just go in and be like, well, he needs to do this, or she needs to do this. It's like, you never know. Everything could be, there's a lot of history laced into these sort of situations. Yep. 
All right, the next question is from Ben Clifton. Ben is a patron. Thank you, Ben, for your support. We really appreciate it. Ben says, what are your thoughts on commanders that run or are able to run very similar strategies? How would you go about choosing which one suits you best? And then Ben goes on to describe that he's got a Gave, Merith, and a Crash deck, which all re- revolve around 1-1 counters uh, and the way he tries to keep their playstyles separate. Interesting question. There are a lot of decks that do play similarly, and I found that sometimes when I'm building a deck and being like, oh, I'm going to do this with it, and I start building my second one, I'm like, shoot, I just made the exact same deck. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, I thought this was a good question for you because you have a few de- decks that are sort of artifact-themed, and I mm-hmm. was curious how you juggled that because I tend to not build a deck if it's too close to something I've already got. Yeah, so it's interesting because I actually was thinking about combining a couple of them once I saw what one deck just did a better job of what the other deck was trying to do, if that makes sense. Um, I think the the thing about this is, you know, some people just like to play certain colors and do certain things. Some people have will do the thing where they want to get one deck of every three-color combination. Other people will just have three decks that are all Obzon or whatever. Um, so I think because that's, you know, those are the colors that they like. I think the thing is, it's 100% up to you. When you play a game with a deck and you're done with it and you go to your, you got to ask yourself, like, did I have fun that game? Did I do what I wanted to do? If not, why? And do I need to build another deck to address that issue? Um, Or if it's just like, hey, I like this style of play. That's what I want to do with all these different decks. They're all going to be slightly different, but they, they end up doing the same thing. Then totally go for it. I think the big thing is don't just don't don't get to the point where you're burnt out because you spent too much money and time making three of the same deck when maybe you would have been happier making three slightly different decks or different colors or made one deck just to push yourself out of your your comfort zone to see what happened and then to answer the other part of the question um where he says you know how do you choose which one to run if you're sort of choosing between two or three that do the very similar things like token decks or Voltron decks. We see a lot of like, there's a lot of choices for what commanders to run there. And generally I just run the one that I think that, that like I look at and makes the most sense to me as far as not, not as far as necessarily most powerful or whatever, but in my head I go, Oh, I get how that's going to work. Yep. Yep. Totally. Um, it's interesting actually, well, you said earlier that your Vile Smasher deck's not your favorite, your favorite deck, right? And it's a deck you never would have built otherwise. For sure. Try the next time you go to a game night, uh, if you have a friend that has a deck that maybe is completely out of your wheelhouse, try playing it, you know, spend one game playing someone else's deck to test out that sort of stuff and just see, because there is a chance that you, you really enjoy it or you get to essentially refine what you like by doing that and being like, oh, I like this part of the deck, but I didn't like this part. Well, that's great. You learned something that you wouldn't have known otherwise. Yeah, I would say in all aspects of life, I would highly recommend to people to when you notice yourself with a certain propensity, it is often correct to like consciously force yourself out of it just one time to give you know something a shot. To just be like, I always order the same thing at this restaurant. Today, I'm just going to order something different. Yeah. Just little stuff like that. It's amazing how you find things out about yourself and about things you just never would have tried. Um, right. Next question. Next question. From Randall Rudstam. Uh, he's emailing in regards to our Machiavellian uh, episode. This one's called Machiavellian Misunderstandings instead of Machinations. 
we had a oh Josh had a good email discussion with Randall disc- disc- uh, sort of discussing the negative reaction ish to the stuff that we had talked about in the episode specifically the blood feud concept in particular was uncomfortable to him uh, he says that his group has two main rules one play to win you are not allowed to make plays that are not trying to win you the game two out-of-game considerations are forbidden. You cannot be influenced by grievances from other games. Yes, of course, you can have notions about other players' trustworthiness and deal-making because of past games, but not outright vengeance for plays they have made. Yeah, this was really fun, Randall. Um, oh, man, I think Randall's from Sweden. Randall, I'm sorry if I got that wrong, but Randall was super open-minded, really great, had just emailed saying that the blood feuding, which is my idea of, like, sometimes... If I think someone's being sort of unfair or targeting me or whatever, I might just blood feud them and let them know, like, hey, I'm just going to kamikaze you for X number of games because I don't feel like you're treating me fairly. And just to try and hit the reset button and get them to consider their actions further in the future. He didn't like that because it felt like Randall didn't really like the idea of uh, a social meta game sort of the game above the game, the game that consists not of this current match that you're playing, but maybe of the next, you know, five or six play sessions all combined. Um, and it was interesting. And I thought, you know, Randall's rules are, are pretty interesting. He was, he, he was saying that, you know, obviously some of it is, it, most of it's not enforceable, but it's just a thing that his play group keeps in mind about playing to win and not holding, you know, grudges or, or past grievances. And it works for them. And, they, and, their, and their play group is, you know, has fun and they really like it. And, you know, to which I say that's awesome. Everyone's going to play the game differently. Uh, I'm definitely not saying you have to play it the way that we talked about in uh, in the Machiavellian episode. But I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with the way that sort of our group, which is Jimmy and my group, plays the game, which is way more socially. Like the social aspect is in many ways more important than the cards. There will at least be points in every game where how you are maneuvering socially is more important than any of the cards on the table. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's a multiplayer game. I can understand why you guys would have these rules. Uh, it, it seems like you have a much more spiky-ish play group if, you guys are, if this is sort of what um, the two main stipulations are. But to me, that takes a lot of the fun out of the game. So I, I like the fact that I can do something in one game and have it affect something further down the line because all of a sudden you're just playing, you know, you're playing with friends and it, it feels also almost as if you have your own sort of inside jokes, inside whatever is that are going to take effect and actually make a difference in the long run. So I'm all about that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like your playgroup has this awesome rich history. Our playgroup has all these like sort of legendary stories that we can even refer to in the game that one time that Craig did that thing to Jimmy and you could sort of be like, remember that? I mean, that was a year ago, but he'll be like, oh yeah, I'm attacking him. You know, sometimes... Uh, that, it's that- always about that one thing Craig did to Jimmy, by the way. <laughs> it's often how the, that sentence starts. <laughs> that's the go-to, but there's many stories sort of like that. And that's, that's really part of the fun, I think, as long as everybody's on the same page and that's a really important part of it. I will yeah. say that it's... I just don't like rules that are completely unenforceable because... There's just too many ways to game the system. Like, if you're not allowed to take past considerations or grievances, then what stops people from being like, hey, I'll be your ally, and then immediately backstabbing you? Because next game, you're not allowed to remember that. And is that even possible to not remember that? Like, and if you do, are you breaking your rule? I also think that the play-to-win thing, and this is something I brought up to Randall, all games 
have a metagame. And you see this in sports all the time, right? Where like you'll get near the end of the season and a team will sit out their star player because they're saving that player for the playoffs or, you know, a more important game. And they're not playing to win as hard as they can that one game. They're playing to win the most games they can over the long haul. So I wouldn't call what we advocated in Machiavellian machinations not playing to win. I would call it playing to win on a longer timeline. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's hard to have unenforceable rules because let's say it's like, all right, go to combat, swing at uh, you, Josh. And you go, why? It's like, I don't know, it's random. It's like, well, actually, there was a lot riding on that, and it wasn't random. It was about something that happened eight, t- eight games ago that you still have running around your head. You yep. know, like, I'll find ways to, to still get my point in and point across if you try and enforce this rule on me. And, I, and again, I'm not decrying Randall and his playgroup. It's working for them, and that's great. Um, I just don't think there's anything inherently lo- wrong with sort of what we're advocating, which is just being open about the social dynamic and pl- having fun and playing with it. Yep. Okay. Next up is a question from Patreon from Felicia Rolechki. My question is about themed EDH decks. So when Alesha, Who Smiles at Death, came out, Felicia was very attracted to the the story that she had, and it meant a lot to her. But she soon came to realize that the playstyle of deck wasn't very interesting to her. So she rebuilt the deck and made it more themed. And the idea was to include all the strong female characters in Mardu colors and bring them together. And the deck has been under construction for a while uh, because she wanted it to be good. And about 12 months later, it's become a sort of Voltron equipment aggro deck with cards like Erish and Foremost and Tainted Strike, one of Craig's favorite cards. Um, she wants to know, have we ever talked about these types of decks on the podcast and we have an experience with that sort of deck building promise? I really like the idea of building around story. In fact, we brought in uh, a guest on the show to talk about that, Allison Lures, uh, this, the episode is literally called Building Around Story. But it's definitely a topic that we could dive a lot more into over time. Uh, in general, we sort of stray, have strayed away from it because we're always about, like, this card's great for X, Y, and Z, not this card is great for this story deck um, because none of us really have that going in our wheelhouse. However, on the archetype series that we've done, we haven't done Tribal yet. And Tribal is, in a lot of ways, a story deck because, you know, all the goblins that you're putting in there probably have some history with each other and they all know each other one way or the other. Um, so I would 100% recommend listening to Building Around Story. Allison has some great sort of uh, tips and tricks about how she would do it. Yeah, that episode is episode 106. And then uh, we did a Voltron episode, and that episode is 76. So... One sort of a more technical look at building a Voltron deck, and the other is sort of a fun look at how you might build a deck around story. You know, I really like that episode with Allison, and it's funny, Jimmy, because we work in a story industry, and yet we are not story guys when we play Magic, necessarily. We've had a lot of requests to, you know, talk about a deck or build a deck based on story, so I can see us doing that at some point in the future. We just haven't uh, gotten around to it yet. So keep listening, Felicia. Thank you for the question. All right. To the next, <laughs> the next question is from Darth Vindicus, aka from, David. Uh, that's uh, also a, a patron. David says, "Greetings, gentlemen. I have uh, been playing Magic for what seems like forever since '94. Even though I have been playing for this length of time, I just got into Commander two years ago. I actually didn't even know that it was a format. Anyway, recently my playgroup was." Uh, 
has wanted to record our games. We are a bunch of fun-loving people, and it is inevitable that at some point in our games, we will just die laughing at something, a joke, a bad play, etc. So what first article or post would you suggest to start for an unknowing, uh, or an unknown, sorry, looking to get into game or MTG content, specifically EDH? Thank you, David. So this is a question we get a lot regarding how to get started in the content creation world. Interesting. Good question. So it depends on what you want to do. Uh, obviously, filming videos and doing sort of the full game night's treatment of it is a lot of work. However, there are a lot of ways of doing it a lot more simply. So, for instance, I would go for one to YouTube and look up very basics. What camera should I get for vlogging? What camera should I get for uh, recording games? What camera should I get for X, Y, and Z? Or how does a GoPro work? And sort of getting yourself acquainted with all the sort of parts of the technology that you might want to use when it comes to recording gameplay. Now, if you're interested in streaming, uh, Gabby Sparts has an excellent article and video series on the Mothership, which is basically how to stream magic. Um, and she covers a lot of stuff there as well as uh, sort of optimizing settings on OBS and all that other stuff if you want to stream magic. Um, but honestly, I would just, I would really look into, just go deep in YouTube because there are lots of tutorials that have been posted over time. And there are a lot of different sort of play styles that you can do to record your gameplay. Look up, for instance, Geek and Sundry has done a ton of videos. They did the Spell Signaler series. They also have done just straight gameplay stuff on their stream. They've done it. Uh, Nerdist has done similar things as well. I would look at it across the board and see what other people have done. Figure out how you want to film your stuff and then go from there. So It's the same with building a deck, right? You like want to have an idea of what you want to do before you jump into it. So the better idea you have of what your end result is going to look like and what you imagine it to be, then you're going to have a better success story of trying to figure out how to make it for yourself. <laughs> I love that you stole the deck analogy that I was going to say, which is like... Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, it's the same thing, right? Magic players can understand like spending a bunch of time online, finding the exact cards that you want, building it on a website, figuring out what cards to buy, which ones not to, you know, looking at other decks that were built in a similar way and taking your own stint on it. Well, content is no different, right? But you're just looking up slightly different things, but the philosophy is the same. Like, how do I light a shot? What camera should I use? How do I make the sound sound good? It's not just about what camera I have and what microphone I have. It's also about what's the environment like when I'm using that equipment. And then, yeah, watching a bunch of videos that are gameplay videos and saying, what do I like about these? What don't I like? What do I think could be done better? How could I do that? Those are the initial questions you should ask yourself when you're making content, I think, for the first time, which is like, what am I adding to the conversation? What am I, what do I have? What's my perspective that's going to make people want to watch it? And you know what? I think, I believe that with a little bit of thought, every single person can add something to the conversation. They can notice something that could be, done better or no one's thought of and do it in that way and show people like, wow, why didn't anybody ever do it that way before? And I think that, David, that's a really good place to start for anybody, which is just have a concept that you believe in that's going to be different than what everybody else is doing. Because if you just look at stuff and be like, I'm going to do what they're doing, why they're already doing it? Unless you can do it that much better. Course. But you you can be like, I'm going to do what they're doing, but I'm going to make it so that you could actually see the cards, and I'm going to make it so you can actually hear the audio, or those are just examples. But that's improving. That's having your own take. That's like saying, what that person's doing, or this other content is doing, is close to what I would want to watch, but I think it could be better, and here's what I would do. And then the other thing I always say to, we get this question a ton, um, 
to budding content creators is definitely don't put a ton of pressure on yourself the first time you get all the stuff together and you shoot it or you record it. Do it as like a dress rehearsal. I, I don't think people know, but Jimmy and I recorded like seven episodes of Command Zone before we even released one. <laughs> we recorded the first one, and we didn't even know if we would release it. We looked at it. We listened to it. We edited it. We made a few changes to it when we recorded the next one. And we just wanted to make sure that we weren't saying like, this thing that we record, it's going to go out onto the internet and thousands of people are going to listen to it. I mean, that's hopeful for your first thing, by the way. And we were maybe arrogant to think that. But we were saying, we're going to record this. We're going to listen to it. We're going to see how it goes. And then even if we just scrap the whole thing and redo episode one, we'll have learned so much so it will have been worth it. And that takes a lot of pressure off it too. It it, it sort of pushes you to the point of like, whatever, just hit record and try it because this isn't the final version. This is just a test and you're going to learn so much by the test. Yep. So experiment around, look it up, uh, spend the time doing the research. And then if you want equipment recommendations at that point, go ahead and ask us another question using the Patreon only email slash the Patreon form to submit questions and we'll get back to you. All right. We're on to the final question. This is also from a patron. It's from patron Justin Carlson. Hey guys. I was wondering what other ways you utilize to start brewing a deck other than picking a commander and building around it. I recently got, got frustrated with how single target removal he heavy my meta is uh, with my playgroup and have been brewing some decks around that to throw them from a loop and to get out of the monotony. Do you guys do that? And what other ways do you use to brainstorm? Do you think to yourselves, how can I build a Malira Silvok Outcast deck to F with Kessler, to screw with Kessler? I think he means uh, Craig, actually, because Craig's the one that Malaria would really go against. Yes, uh, of, the, to just uh, of the infect. The anti-infect, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, here, <laughs> I don't have, you know, for having played against Craig a lot, I've never put any anti-infect content into my, <laughs> into my decks. But I do definitely build my decks knowing that I could play against infect, and therefore I need to do things like, I can't just have a deck that doesn't put out any blockers at all or, or just ignores attacking creatures kind of thing. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's kind of what I like doing is not not specifically targeting what's happening in my meta, but targeting what I think would be more fun for me to do, and sometimes in regards to the meta, more successful. So, for a moment, no one in our group played creatures that attacked. <laughs> like we all sort of realized, like you know what, attacking with creatures is boring. We're all going to win with this other way, and everyone's deck sort of slowly mor morphed into that. And then it was like, hey, you know what? I need to just build a deck with Crater Hoof Behemoth in it. And then those decks started winning, and we started shifting the other way, too. I think, you know, you are your own meta, and your ability to push your group in one direction or the other is 100% dependent on how much you want to do it. So if you want to start slowly moving things that way, then 100%, you building decks that get rid of sort of the e efficiency of single-target removal spells is going to be great. Or, you know, you have a lot of, you know, you're, you're going to play a counter-heavy deck. Or you're going to play a deck that has hexproof on everything, you know? So, like, there are a lot of ways I think that you can 100% do this. And I think it is a very fun thing to do. And it's part of why the game is exciting, is that when you build a new deck, it's not just to sometimes complement what you want to do in the game, but it's also to affect how you're going to play with your friends. Yeah, I remember in my very first playgroup, when Magic was very, very young, um, our meta did this a lot. And... You know, the first deck that sort of dominated our group was a sort of big creature deck, and it had, like, Sarah Angels and stuff. And then uh, somebody built what was called the Meekstone deck, 
which had all little creatures, and it had things like royal assassins and a bunch of black removal, and so it basically fought against big creatures and creatures in general, and that created an, a new dominance of the Meekstone deck, and then to beat that deck, somebody built a red-blue sort of spells deck. It just had no creatures, so that person found the counter to the Meekstone deck was like, well, your, your deck kills or stops all my creatures. I just won't have any. And then that went to a uh, a card drawing sort of Nekusar style deck that I built, which was a black vice deck, and so on and so forth. And this is how metas work, and I think it's one of the great and healthy things if your meta is doing this. It means everybody's involved. It means it's evolving. It means people are you know there's move and counter move. It's it's great. And our 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 meta our playgroup now does do this as J- Jimmy has said. It's just a little bit slower because I think when you get to where we're at, where it's everybody has like eight, nine decks, it's harder to have one deck be dominant because somebody doesn't play it all the time. But I know there's still a lot of people that play the game more like how I played it in my youth, which is like each person only has one or two decks, in which case, you know, that, you know, Jennifer's deck can be so good that it dominates your meta. And yeah, I think in those cases, it's actually very smart and good to build a deck that counters that one deck and that can sort of move your meta around. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right, that's going to wrap up our mailbag episode. I know we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it some clickbaity title that'll make people actually download it. <laughs> and let us know if, the, uh, if it worked, the title. We'd love to know. <laughs> because, well, we'll know by the view numbers because uh, Q&A episodes do not get the kind of views as the rest of them. This is just the type of episode that we've got to do sometimes because all this stuff stacks up on us. Also, it's a little bit easier when we're traveling and we're farther apart. So, Yes. I should say that deck techs, people have been asking about them. Deck doctors, don't worry, guys. We will <laughs> 100% get back to them. Uh, we actually... I, I, I've yeah. wanted I've wanted to do one. We don't have a ton of submissions. Patreons, uh, patrons, please submit to the Deck Doctor series. And even if you're not on the Patreon, please submit. You know, the number one thing for the show for the Command Zone will always be uh, beyond all other considerations is will it make for a good episode of the show? And yes. so we will never just choose something because we need to do a deck doctors it has to be a deck where we go yep that's going to be a really good episode and i haven't seen that yet and i think a lot of people are you know don't fall into the trap of like submitting us a very highly tuned deck i look at a lot of these and i'm like this deck maybe needs to change two cards what am i going to talk about for an hour on the podcast um, that's that's not the kind of deck doctors we need submitted. We need stuff that you're struggling with, that you're having trouble figuring out, that you really want doctored. Because if you go to the doctor and you're not sick, you're just wasting a bunch of money. Yeah, play to the meta of this show, please. All right, to the listeners, we're going to call back to Leonardo's question about LGSs and how they handle uh, Commander in their store. We really want to hear from you guys. How have your local gaming stores handled Commander play uh, in a cool way that's made you want to go in and be a uh, customer at their business. And speaking of local gaming stores, this brings us to our second mention of our sponsor for the show, which is CardKingdom.com. They actually have two physical stores in Seattle and Bellevue. Make sure you guys check those out if you're ever in the area. I it, Single-handedly is still the, the best LGS I've ever been to. Um, I it's mean, incredible. I've, I've only been one time, and the Card Kingdom that we went to, that's the Seattle one, right? Yep. That is, yeah, it's the single best local gaming store. I mean, this is no joke. I'd say this even if they weren't our sponsor that I've ever been in. I mean, they have a freaking like bar and restaurant and you can, and everybody in there is playing magic. Like, it's sweet. 
if yeah, you're magic, ever, uh, board games, they're playing miniature games. They have they let you rent games there and stuff. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's a really cool atmosphere. Everybody's really friendly. Definitely stop by. And if you do order things off their website, please use the affiliate link cardkingdom.com slash command zone. All right. Well, let's move on to the end set where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. I got this one, Josh. Don't even worry about it. All right, sweet. Not that I was worried or anything, but sweet. Yeah, of course not. Um, it is another <laughs> card game, actually. Uh, this podcast from today on out is going to be switching to a new card game. Just kidding. Uh, I recently was introduced to a card game from Fancy Flight Games. It's the first collectible card game that they've done in a very long time, and it's called Star Wars Destiny. Oh, yeah. I hear this is sweet. I, I think Matt was telling him about it and you a little bit. Yeah, so uh, it, Fancy Flight Games usually does these things called living card games where every month they'll release a 10 to $15 sort of expansion set, and you get a full play set of all the cards so you don't need to like go and buy collectible. You, know, you don't need to buy singles or all that. However, they've been waiting for a while, and they have a lot. They they have the Star Wars franchise under their belt. They have games like Star Wars Armada. They have X Wing: The Miniatures Game. They've got um, Imperial Assault, and now they're finally doing a collectible card game version of Star Wars. And it's very interesting because you essentially play with what feels like a commander or a group of commanders. You can add them up to thirty points in front of you. So you could do like eight stormtroopers, or you could do two stormtroopers and Jango Fett. Or you could do General Veers and Jango Fett. Or you can do Jabba the Hutt. Or you can do Luke Skywalker and Rey. So they're, they're taking from all of the movies. And each of those characters has dice that they roll. And all of those dice, uh, it's like, let's say, four out of the six of the sides of the dice all do different things. Some of it's going to be like one combat. Some of it's going to be like three guns. And essentially what you're doing is you're passing the turn back and forth between you and the player you're playing against where you activate your cards or you spend the money you get every round to play a blaster or a lightsaber on your character, giving them extra dice. So essentially it's, it's sort of a dice rolling and dice mitigating game where you activate your characters, roll the dice, see what the results are, then your opponent goes. And they have cards in their hand that can either they can play to equipped cards or they can play sort of event slash sorcery cards where they can get rid of dice or re-roll dice. Um, and you're essentially just trying to kill the other person's characters. It's a really fun and interactive game. If you like sequencing in Magic the Gathering, 100% you will do very well in Star Wars Destiny. I just got into it. It's a lot of fun. Um, being a Magic player, I feel like I have an automatic edge over anyone else playing the game. And it's been a lot of fun sort of doing the mental game of being like, all right, well, I see they have these dice on the table. I know they're going to want to re-roll them, and then they have zero cards in their hand, so I'm going to play like this because I know they can't affect my dice, but I will be able to take extra actions and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really fun game. I recommend it if you're... A lot of game stores are having sort of game nights where they'll play it and sort of have the starter decks on hand for people to play with. So I would, I would check that out, look up your local game store, and see if they're running an event in the near future. Man, it sounds so cool. I want to try it. Yeah, I mean, well, I'll just give you a deck and we can play next time we hang out. <laughs> I mean, you better. Yeah, that or we'll play EDH, one or the other. <laughs> I'm just saying, Star Wars Destiny could be a future episode of Game Nights, why not? I know, why not? I mean, Star. let's just say this much, they've got a lot of content to use in the next billion years. <laughs> they definitely do. <laughs> what do you and mean billion, billion years? You mean in the next uh, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? Correct, there we go. Yeah. All right, make sure you to check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman, they talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. You can find them on Twitter, at the MMCast, or 
on collected.company, which is our new magic hub. Um, I should note that we are doing a lot behind the scenes right now to sort of spruce up and get collected.company fully launched. We did sort of a pre-launch before, but don't worry. It's going to look pretty cool very soon. Um, yeah. And helping yeah. contribute to making everything look really cool is Terry Robertson, who edits this show, as well as the video versions of our podcast. Make sure you guys check out the video versions of this podcast at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. It's our YouTube channel. Subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Uh, it's a great way to uh, view the show, essentially, and see the cards as they come up. See your face sometimes. See our faces all the time. Most of the time. Not, not Most this time. Most of the time. Not this time, yeah. <laughs> and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who also provides amazing living card animations at the beginning of the show. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at livingcardsmtg. He's always up to some cool stuff. Oh, yeah, I actually just worked with Jeffrey on a new intro for that show I do with pr the professor uh, in response. So that's going to be unveiled soon. That's exciting. Also, we just got an email while we were doing this, Jimmy. Have you seen it? Uh, yes, I did actually see it. Uh, it's, it's the latest uh, the latest rendering of what's going to be the art for our playmat. Woohoo! It's going to be sweet. It's going to be really, really sweet. I'm super excited to show it off to you guys, hopefully soon. Um, all right, enough teasing. We'll, Enough teasing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com. Or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.